Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever, however, whenever you're watching this all over the world. I am Aaron Chown of the CHALL. Welcome to the Championship Podcast right here on Lux Sports Media. All the goals, all the drama from the second tier of English football. Joining me today is Jordan Richards and Lewis. And guys, how are we doing? Not too bad. How are you doing, Chell? Very, very good. Jordan, how are we doing? Yeah, not too bad myself, mate. Is everything good on your side? All good, all good. Fantastic stuff. Um, so, yeah, as the title suggests, Championship Podcast, we'll be here every week talking about the goals and the drama from the second tier. And there is plenty this week uh, to go on about. Uh, so we're going to kick start straight away, but we're not going to start off with a result. We're going to start off with the postponed game between Rotherham United in Ipswich Town under former Manchester United coach Kieran McKenna. Um, gentlemen, um, postponed three hours before kickoff, fans only knowing three hours before kickoff. Uh, Jordan, we'll come to you first on this. Um how how and why, I think, is probably the question here from a, from a fan's point of view. How and why? Um, I just think that, I mean, we see, we see it quite a bit with the timing of these games getting called. Interesting, because it was clear throughout the day that this game should not have been played. I think you could probably sit outside. I live in Derby. I go to University of Derby. Um my housemate is is an Ipswich fan and he was uh, he was trying to get to the game himself. Obviously, trains were cancelled. I think Rotherham Central Station was completely closed off. So what I think he did was he got a train to to Nottingham and then he spent was going to be the best part of 90 quid from an Uber to Rotherham. Uh, he was in the Uber for about 15 minutes before he found out the game was called off and 
back round he went back to Nottingham. But um, the timing of it was um, is awful. I think he, you know, it's the fact that it it was obvious. You know, that the pitch may have been playable, but the outside areas was nowhere was nowhere near safe. And it was the right call, but it should have been made a hell of a long time ago before that. Yeah, hundred percent agree, um, Lewis. Would you say uh, there's multiple responsibility here or a sole responsibility for the lack of transparency with the fans up to a reasonable uh, time frame? I think there's uh, many you can blame. Obviously, Rotherham wanted the game to go ahead and it was in their interests for it too. But we saw the state of the train station. It was completely flooded from what I'd seen. But I think with it being on the Sky Sports cameras as well, they certainly would have pushed to be shown but to be played live on that Friday and yeah there was no real consideration for the Ipswich fans especially who had made a three and a half hour journey and many of which were already in Rotherham and therefore had to make you know a journey back on that very night. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I think it, there has to be an explanation, doesn't there, from the uh, from the authorities as to why the decision was made at that particular time. Um, I feel there was a lack of transparency with the fans. Um, I'd like to see the Football Authority and the Football League come out about this, if they haven't already, uh, which I think you know, a bit out of order. They haven't already come out and talked about this and, and what the reasoning for it. Um so I feel like there has to be a, definitely a, a, an explanation um, uh, around this. Um, but, I mean, overall in the championship, before we go into the uh, particular games, just as a quick one, um, definitely a lot of drama uh, this week um, in terms of managerials. Uh, Millwall parting company with Gary Rowett, Birmingham bringing in Wayne Rooney after the success of John Eustace. Um, Millwall and Birmingham, two different situations, but the manager Merrigill cycle, Merrigill, Merrigill, Merrigo round cycle, um, continuing the manager around about continues to go in full swing. I mean, what do you sort of make of both Millwall and Birmingham situations, Lewis? I mean, touching on Birmingham, I'm sure we'll get to them a little bit later on, but their, their choice of you know replacing John Eustace, you know, a local man who was you know, not exactly doing wonders for the club, but he had them in a very steady position in and around the playoffs. And for them to bring in Wayne Rooney, who, yeah, he's got championship, you know, passed with Derby County. Some would argue he wasn't the best with them, although he did have tight constraints with the ownership at the time. But it just stinks of a PR move, unfortunately, and we've not really considered how well John Eustace was doing. And I feel like Wayne Rooney's purely came in for his name. I mean, we saw him in the MLS and he had his side bottom the league, I think, before he ended up leaving that job. So it's a bizarre one for me. I know why they've done it. It's, you know, it's a big name coming to the club, but that's not where the priority should lie for the owner and for the side. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um... So let's get into our first game then. Uh, we're going to go with you first, Lewis. We're going to go straight to, to Hull City versus Southampton. Um, what did you take away from that game? Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, I couldn't make it to this one due to you know South Yorkshire being underwater, which <laughs> was a bit of a big issue <laughs> for my travel. But yeah, it's a Hull City side, which are now winless in four. And 
if I'm being honest, we've not really deserved much more than that. And attacking threat for us has been fairly one-dimensional at times. And we've got the players up front. We've got Liam Delap. He's got loads of championship experience. Same with Jaden Philogene. And we've seen just how much quality that Scott Twain can produce. We saw that at Burnley at times when he wasn't injured. And, of course, at his spell for MK Dons when he was absolutely incredible in League One. And they all have pulled their weight to an extent, maybe not quite Scott Twain, maybe hasn't lived quite up to his expectations from the start of the season, but there's no communication there. There's no teamwork. It seems Philogene's going down that wide-hand side and he's taken on Ryan Manning and he's he's doing him for pace, he's doing him for skill time and time again, but he's just got no options whatsoever. And I believe he's one of the best players in the league. I'm I would I would have him in any side. I think he could get into any side in the championship, but no player at this level is able to do stuff time and time again when he just hasn't got that support. And I think that's just what we lacked against Southampton. Yeah, I th- um, did you did you feel like um, Southampton definitely deserved the three points? Because um, it seems like the talk is they they definitely could have. I mean. You look at the, the post-match comments from Liam Rossini, yeah, you know, he has a lot of respect and a lot of time for Russell Martin. Um, did, did you feel like Southampton deserved the three points or do you think Hull could have got something out of it? Well, I think if it did end the draw, obviously we saw Ryan Fraser get a last-minute winner, last kick of the game. I think both sides will have seen it as one point gained rather than two points dropped. But, I mean, especially after our first-half performance as well, we not quite played them out the park, but we're certainly the better side. And we lost that a little bit in the second half, but I think a draw definitely would have been a fair result for both sides. Okay, that's that, that's fair enough. To be fair, from what I saw from the highlights and from what I saw from the stats, it seemed like maybe Hull could have taken something from it. Uh, Jordan, anything to add on Hull versus Southampton? A 2-1 win for the Saints, but Hull definitely uh, some promising signs at times. Um, yeah, I think ultimately it's it's a really good win for Southampton, really, really late on as well. Uh, I believe it was Ryan Fraser with the goal as well. Um, I think you can probably see the signs that Southampton are starting to get there after the little wobble they've had. Um, I think going to Hull at the minute is, is not an easy place to go. They've certainly had their tails up and they've produced some really good performances and results this season so I think on the whole it's it's a really good win for the Saints and it's a it's a long way for them to go as well uh for that as well so um it's great there great day for their supporters it keeps them very much alive in in the uh in the mix I mean, it's still early days of course but you always want to be there and down around their rounds um at, the, at this time as well yeah yeah, hundred percent. Um, moving on then uh, to your first game, Jordan. Um, we've got uh, Leeds United against Norwich City. I think probably the most exciting game this week uh, with the game itself. Um, talk us through it, Jordan. Um, Daniel Farke's return uh, to Carrow Road didn't. It, it actually came off great. He actually got the win over David Wagner. Yeah, he did. Um, it was what seemed a really interesting game to watch. I mean, we know the story of Daniel Farker going back to Carrow to Norwich, this time as a lead, as a, the manager of Leeds, um, looking to 
recreate the same fate that he did with Norwich, and that is to take them into the Premier League. And in terms of in terms of half scale, I don't think it could have been much worse for him going down two nil. Not the break, Shane Duffy from a header, um, completely unmarked. It was a really good goal from Gabriel Sahara um, as well to glide past um, a fair few Leeds players inside the box and finish it at the near post. Um, but Leeds just seem to have um, this knack of just getting their act together. And it certainly started off the hard time. They just needed that spark. And unfortunately, it came off Shane Duffy uh, <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the other end of the pit. Shafter's going at the, the right at the end of the pitch, and then after, and then after that, um, show um, is fin is finished from a from a quick corner um, outside the box off the uh, off the uh, the right hand post. Um, it was a really good strike. Could the Norwich defenders have closed him down quicker? Maybe. And again, when he um, when he picked up the ball in his own half for the winner um, from a pass from Jorginho Ruta, um, it's, it's again it's a really good piece of skill from him. I think he's a player that uh, is. It's proven that he could be um, one a really good player to look out for. So it's a good win. It's a good win for Leeds as well. It moves them up the table as well. After a bit of some of, uh, I say a little bit of discontent, but there's certainly signs that that they're getting better. And under Daniel Farker, it's clear to see where the uh, where the promising signs are at the moment. As for Norwich, um, as as you say, two uh, 0 is always a dangerous scoreline. But they've um, yeah they've unfortunately come out of the uh, of the game at the uh, with the wrong result um, as a result. So, um, yeah, d- disappointing for them in the end. Yeah, it, it, you know, I did talk to someone when I was at York City a month ago, uh, when I went to York City to watch them against Rochdale, one of the stewards who's a Leeds fan. And uh, they said after the international break, they didn't say which one, just kind of, you know, keep them in the clear. Uh, but they said after an international break, um, you know, they said that Leeds could be all right. Uh, under Daniel Farker, and there is promising signs under there. And obviously, that was a good uh, way to show it in that particular game. Um, Lewis, just to get your kind of so- uh, little summary from that as well, um, from a Norwich point of view, worrying for Wagner, because there seems to be quite some discontent amongst the fan base, especially on social media. Uh, there's quite a few fans on social media quite discontent with, uh, with Norwich at the moment. Do you see this as a blip, or do you see this as a long-term struggle at the moment? Well, the the winless in the last three, which for a for a team which should be going for top six, it's you know it's not a good sign at all. And they had such a po- positive start to the season as well, and it seems to have went pear shaped since then. And looking at individual players, George Long really didn't cover himself in glory for the first two goals. You know, the ball basically went through him for the own goal, and then the second goal he. Didn't do much about that either. I feel like he could have maybe got a hand to it. But yeah, there's clearly signs of unrest at Norwich at the minute. And yeah, I can't see them pushing to the playoffs anytime soon in the way they're currently playing. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think Leeds will definitely be amongst the top six, top eight coming the end of the season. Norwich, I think this is probably the year where they finish outside the top eight and have to settle for a mid-table finish if they don't book up their ideas. Something has to turn around 
around the January transfer window for me with Norwich to uh, to really give them a, a chance of finishing the top six, as it is early stages still this particular season. Um, since we've already gone through Hull, then, it's a double header with you, Jordan, because we've got your next game coming up, Swansea City against Leicester City. Um, Swansea City, of course, you know, they've got the potential to be a great side uh, under the current manager, but Leicester City right now, under the ex-Manchester City assistant manager, Enzo Manesca, I mean, they're just flying like foxes, aren't they? They're just flying high. They are. And I think at this early stage, I think it will take a really good team to, to to even come anywhere near them. I think the quality that they've got on show is, is pro- dare I say, best the Championship has seen for a hell of a long time. I, I certainly believe so. Although it didn't get off to the best of starts with um with Matt Grimes fire, um, firing from, um, f- from a corner that wasn't really well cleared, but... I mean, they they get that goal just before halftime. Yannick Vestergaard. It sort of like took a fair few bubbles uh, until until it got to him, in which he had a tap in. But that's that that's a game changer, um, and you could certainly see it with the second half with a Fatar with Fatari firing into the net on sixty three minutes, and as well Kelechi Iheanacho, who again I think is way too good for the championship, finishing the job. Uh, three minutes the full four time. But you see the players that they've got on their disposal as well. Steffi Mavadidi is a player that I, I really like. Kean and Dewsbury Hall should not be in the championship. It's, yeah. it's very much clear to see that. You can say the same for a lot of their players. So um the way they the way they play, the way they exact, the way that Enzo Maresca has uh have set them up, um it certainly looks but looks like that Leicester City are certainly on the way back at the moment trying to build what went wrong in, in the Premier League last season. And with Hull being their only defeat as well, it's it's you can't say anything other than it's been an excellent start to the season. And like I said, it'll take someone, it'll take a team that's absolutely incredible to stop them. Because what are they like? What, five five points clear of it switching second already? Um, yeah. I think that's where they'll stay. They they just find that way to win games and they've got a lot of quality at their disposal. So um I've, I've been really impressed with them and to come back from one nil down uh, this week um, just shows the character in their team and what they've got. So I've been really impressed with them. Yeah, absolutely. Leicester are just flying at the moment, uh, along with Ipswich Town, obviously, despite the postponement. I think both those teams are really showing what the championship has to offer at the top end this season. Um on, as, as you said, great players in that squad that have, again, Ian Acho just setting the world on fire with another goal. Um, Lewis, from a Swansea perspective, I mean, Michael Duff said after the game he felt uh, they think they fell the wrong side of the big moments in the game, but the supporters aren't stupid and clapped off at the pitch having got beat. So it's clear from a manager's point of view, and I think from the fans' point of view as well, that it's, it's still clicking for Swansea. It seems like the, the, the fan base knows exactly what's up. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, that any team to lose to Leicester City, it, you shouldn't be too disheartened over that. And, you know, they clearly are the best side in the league. They've got a midfield of Dewsbury Hall, Winks and Ndidi. And a defence of Justin, Justin Vestergaard, Vestergaard, sorry, Pace and Pereira. I mean, that wouldn't look out of place. Top 10 Premier League, you might even yeah. say. So, for, that defense, for the defeat to come against them... Not an issue at all. And the fact that they've won four on the bounce before that, you know, we saw Swansea get off to a pretty poor start under Michael Duff, but he seems to have turned it around and won the fans over. And I think despite that very slight blip against Leicester, I think the only way they're looking is up. 
100%. And I'm sure Gary Lineker will be very happy on Match of the Day this week. <laughs> um, right then, uh, we go to the Bet365 Stadium now, the Stoke City Stadium, um, as Alex Neal Stoke City hosted Tony Mowbray Sunderland. And uh, for, from, from my perspective watching this game, um, I thought Stoke did well. I think that Stoke did really well. I think the, uh, the first Stoke goal, I think there was a big Sunderland defensive gap. I was watching the goal back and I thought, why is there that much of a gap when the forward is right there? I, there was there was quite a disconnect in the defence for that first goal. It was just a nice finish from the May. Um, I mean, Sunderland's equaliser, I mean, it was a good finish, don't get me wrong. But, I, I mean, one one name comes to mind, Joby Bellingham. I mean, the way he just assists that goal, he just absolutely takes off his brother Jude. Um, it was just smashing him in for England and, and Real Madrid at the minute. Um, but then you look at that other Stoke goal. Um, I mean, Stoke rose highest from the corner. They beat him on the set piece. It was so easy. Um, I mean, McNally gets his first goal since March last year. I mean, that's just, it's amazing for McNally to break that duck. Um, I was looking at some of the stats from that game and the heat maps uh, in the play area showed 42% of that game was in the centre third. So the midfield battle was key to winning that game. And it seemed like Stoke just edged that uh, from a statistical point of view uh, with 28% and 30% coming in the first third and final third respectively with Sunderland slightly edging the possession game 53 to 47. Um, Jordan, from Stoke, Seems like Alex Neal's got them where he wants them. But obviously there was discontent, you know, at some points during this, this season so far. Um, there were talk of would a better manager get more out of the players he's brought in this summer. What do you think of Stoke's situation, first of all? Do you think that Alex Neal's the man taken forward? Um, Stoke's a weird one because I think they've brought all these players in in the summer. And with that, comes expectation for them to really kick on. They've had a few averages, shall we say, in the, in the, in the Championship, not really where they want to be. And um, I think with, with the players that they brought in as well, they've had a massive overhaul and it was going to take a bit of time for them to to click. But I think, I don't know, the result, results haven't gone their way, uh, mainly for, for one reason or another. Uh, is it the placements at the manager? I'm not too sure. Um, in terms of Alex Neal, I really like him as a manager. I think he, he knows how to get the best out of players. And he's been there and done that. He's seen what he's done. He's taken Norwich to the Premier League. He's, he's taken Sunderland up. Um, there's clearly a good manager in him who knows how to win. Um, but something just hasn't been right so far at the uh, at, at Stoke. And... With that, I mean, it's it's a big win. Sunderland have have impressed me big time so far this season with the with the quality I've got with Joby Bellingham and uh, Jack Clark in particular. You sense that's a massive win, and you sense that that could be what they need to really ignite their season after what has been a bit of a slow start. That's, look, there's still there's still a long way to go, of course, but I think with Stoke, it's more to do with just trying to build on what they've had as well with the players that they brought in with the amount of the, the amount of talent as well. I'm going to be honest, uh, some they have brought in a fair few players that I'm going to be honest, I wasn't really aware of. But you can see that what they have brought in, they're clearly talented. And Alex Neal surely knows 
what they're about because he, he's they've obviously done his research on it when he bring it in and how to get the best out of them uh playing for Stoke City um I just think with time I think they'll they might get there I'm not saying it's a guarantee um could a manager maybe get a bit more maybe but you look at who's maybe out there at the minute but like I said I think in terms of wins I think that's massive for Stoke yes uh at the weekend I, I really do some of them are a really good team that have impressed me a lot. Yeah, I really feel like, uh, sorry, Joel, uh, I really feel like with these Stoke players that they did bring in, it, it is a case of when, not if. Like, the, these players do have a fair bit of pedigree, albeit abroad, but, you know, many we've seen many players come across and, you know, do it in the Championship like they have done elsewhere. And I think it's just a case of these players gelling. And we've seen a little bit more of that over the past Four games, I think it's safe to say. It's not not consistent by any means, but it's just a slow pro- process. And I think they're certainly on the way to getting that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, now, Tony Mowbray sort of said after the game uh, in his sort of post-match that the first one was a blatant handball, the first goal. And it's frustrating to concede from a corner. I mean, did you get a chance to, to watch that first goal back? Do you think that was a blatant handball in the build-up? I don't think I think that might be a little too much to you know to suggest that it was a handball and either way it was very well taken by Mame I think that's how you say it <laughs> I might have butchered that uh, the way he takes it past Patterson you know you got to give full credit to that and I don't think there was much of a hint of a handball in that goal and I think it's more down to very poor Sunderland defending, as you said, Chal. And the second goal as well, especially, I think you've got to put that down to defending. You know, I think Sunderland, with this defeat, only have themselves to blame. And especially that second goal, you know, just the defence from the corner, you know, they didn't really know who they were marking. And then McNally was able to tower over everyone and get his header on goal. And... You know, there was only one story as soon as he made contact with that. And yeah, they just didn't seem to track the run at all. And it was inevitable to end up in the back of the net. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jordan, from a Sunderland perspective, I would only probably see this as a blip. Would you probably agree with that, With especially with the talent they've got and the, and the, the form they've had this season? I'd probably say so, yeah. I think you've just got to put it down to just a poor day at the office. Um, you know, we've seen Sunderland many of times so far have come back from these sort of defeats and will go on and and absolutely wipe a team. Um my only concern is it was this has been so soon after their hammering of um Middlesbrough a couple of a couple of weeks ago. Would that maybe have played into it maybe in their minds? Um like I said, only time will tell, but it certainly it certainly seemed more than an off day, but like I said, I've, I've got no, I've got no doubts about Sunderland. I think with the way uh, Tony Mowbray sets up his teams, um, you know they'll they'll always go out and, and give it a go, and they've got some real dangerous players with pace that can really hurt you. Um, it for one reason or another just didn't click this weekend. But yeah, I, I just think it's more than off day. I think they'll 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 come back. They'll come back from this. They'll and they'll right some wrongs that clearly were were, were made in this game. I really could don't think you can call it a blip, if I'm being honest. I think Sunderland so far this season, the 12 games they've played have been 
consistently inconsistent. You know, they've won 50% of the games they've played. Five mm. of the uh, uh, games they haven't won have ended in defeat. So I think we've seen a few results, albeit against some fairly decent sides. Obviously, first game, second game of the season, they played, you know, a Preston side that, you know, got off to a uh, terrific start, as well as an Ipswich side, which are still flying high. But, you know, draws against Coventry, they also ended up, you know, losing against Middlesbrough, as I said, although I think you could probably say that was a blip, you know, Sutherland going down to 10 men. But, yeah, I think this result against Stoke, it's a little bit more than a one-off. Yeah, and especially with the talent that Sunderland have got, you probably expect them to be around that top eight, top ten minimum come the end of the season, wouldn't you? I mean, players like Joe Bellingham, I didn't, you know, give him loads of credit, you know, before the season. I hadn't seen much of him from Birmingham. He hadn't played the most games. Same with Jack Clark. He came with a high price tag and not many goals to his name, but certainly both players have proved that wrong. But Looking around the side, there's you know, we've got some big name players, but is it good enough quality to get promoted? I'm not too sure. You know, there's brought in some big names, for example, Bradley Dack, but you know, just how inconsistent he's been with injuries at Blackburn. Yeah, on his day, he's one of the best in the championship, or maybe three or four years ago, he was, but I can't see players like that getting you over the line. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. Um, so, a big win for Stoke. And, of course, turning over in the Black Cats will come again. Uh, now then, we're going to let you guys take an ad break. But before we go, coming up in the second part of this podcast, we've got a big win for Darren Moore as Huddersfield manager, a trip to the Baggies for the Pilgrims, and also a clash between two of Fergie's old boys, Carrick and Rooney. We'll let you enjoy the adverts. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. You can count them. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to the Championship Podcast here on Look Sports Media. We're back for the rest of t- the games this past weekend and also summarise our thoughts on the week itself. So we're going to get straight into the swing of things again and we're going to go to Huddersfield right here in Yorkshire. Um, Darren Moore's first win as Huddersfield manager against a woeful Queen's Park Rangers this season, two goals to one. Uh, Lewis, I believe this is your game, my friend. Yeah, well, as we've uh, seen, Huddersfield unsurprisingly triumphant against the 
fairly gutless QPR side, I think you'll agree. It was a well-needed win for Darren Moore's side, who had drawn four of his last five. So, you know, to get the gears going, it was vital to get a win at home. And QPR ended up getting excess of the ball, surprisingly, which they're not used to at all, with an average of just 40% possession per game. I believe they had, you know, over 60% for this. So, you know, it's a situation they're not used to, and we just didn't really know what to do with the ball. And they were shot in the stomach early with two quick goals from Harrit and Jack Ladoni. Looking at the first, it came way too easily. And, you know, it didn't take much at all to break up in that defence with one ball. And for the second goal, Ladoni found themselves in acres of space. And for a championship side, it's just not acceptable at this level at all. And I think you've got to say, the moment of the game, you know, it was bigger than a goal. Helix heroic block in the second half to keep the Terriers in the lead. And despite QPR remaining somewhat on top in the second half, in terms of XG, I don't know if you're a big fan of XG or not, but they managed to get 0.9 in that second oh. half, which proves them to be slightly wasteful in front of goal. And I feel like it just sums up Gareth Ainsworth's tenure at the club and the fact he's still in a job. I've got no idea. And I feel like if you asked any QPR fan, give him another chance or get rid, give him like the ninth or tenth chance, whatever they've done. I can't think of a single one who would, you know, give him that another go. Yeah, it seems like the the faith in Ainsworth from the fans is rapidly declining week on week. Um, I'm going to sort of play devil's advocate and just say that um, I think it doesn't really show blind faith in the manager. I think that the club is putting their trust in the manager. I think they'll only sack him when they think it's right. I mean, we saw some things over the international break that it seemed like there was a chance that he could have gone before the end of the international break, but he hasn't, and we don't think there was any 100% chance he was going to go. Uh, so it shows quite a lot of loyalty from the, from the border, Queen's Park Rangers. I mean... Jordan, from a QPR perspective, leave one bound, or is that too early to say? I don't think it is. I really don't. I think QPR at the minute are in this big rut that I don't see much of a way they're going to get out of it. I'm just looking at the stats now of the Huddersfield game. They did have more of the ball, they did have more attempts, but the fact they've only got, they've only had one shot on goal, I think says a lot. And you look at, you do have to look at some of the players. I mean, could they be better? But ultimately, the the uh, the aim main, mainly rests at, at the manager. Um, how long do you give him? I think in terms of what I think, not long. Not long now. Results have been nowhere near good enough that they're just looking for, they're just looking free fall at the moment with the amount of defeats. Four defeats in it. Four defeats in a row, winless in in seven with two draws. It's it's just not good enough, and I, I just don't know where this is where this where it's going to change for them. Um, to their to their um, back in, they have played some relatively decent sides in that, like Leeds, like Birmingham, who have uh, who've done all right, Sunderland as well. Um, that that I just don't think their squad is is overly good enough and. And you've got a manager who, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't convinced with the appointment at the start. He may have um, has done his bit for QPR in the past, but I just thought the appointment was was overly wrong to begin with. I give him credit for the fact that he kept them up last year, 
But I only, but I thought going into this season, I thought it'd only be a one-time thing because I could just see they're in absolute free fall at the minute. And their form on the form on um, on the pitch as well uh, certainly says a hell of a lot at the moment. So I I really do worry for them at the moment as well, uh, being in the relegation zone. I mean, the no, I mean, two teams are are worse than them at present, but yeah, they're. they're They've just not been impressive at all, and they're only going one way at the minute. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Uh, just quickly, finally, Lewis on QPR. Uh, obviously, first of all, Huddersfield. We have to talk about Huddersfield. Great win for for Darren Moore, the ex Dogs Rovers manager. Obviously, I've got a lot of respect for Darren Moore personally, uh, so I'm really happy for him. Um, from a QPR perspective, though, finally, um, Lewis. If Ainsworth was to go, and I know a lot of people have been talking about the fact that Michael Beale's now available after his sacking from Rangers, do you feel that Beale is the right man to take them forward if Ainsworth is to go? Or is this just QPR fans, no disrespect intended, wanting Beale back? Do you think there's a, a, a more smarter appointment out there for QPR if Ainsworth was to get the sack in the next couple of weeks, few weeks, maybe? If I'm going to be honest, I think it's, you know, it's, it's on the other side, you know. I think it would be a perfect appointment for QPR. You know, we've obviously seen him do it before. He had them near the top of the table before he did depart to, you know, to Rangers. And I think it's a case of not all the fans would be happy for him to come back on board. You know, we saw how he 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 left them in the mud in ways. You know, there was a bit of a long term plan there, and he seemed to just completely ditch that for a slightly bigger job and. I think it's very 50-50 on whether fans will take him back. I think he certainly has got the championship pedigree and he knows most of the players inside and out. You know, we see we saw what he was doing with them at the start of last season. And in terms of other managers that could bring in, you know, I don't know if Neil Warnock fans coming back for his 40-second job or whatever it'll be. <laughs> but I think he's certainly going to be on the shortlist if, well, when they're going to get rid of Gareth Ainsworth. Yeah, um, there's there's a few names you could put in that mix. Kevin Muscat's obviously on the mill uh, on the Millwall rumor mill. Um, you know, would he take a championship job elsewhere as well? You know, that could be in the offering. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with QPR because that situation is really going to develop over the rest of the season. Uh, Jordan, you're next. You've got the one-one draw at Deepdale between Preston and managerless Millwall uh, after the departure of Gary Rower. Uh, please talk us through it because it seemed like. Uh, did both teams deserve a point? Um, I think on the basis of it, it certainly looked like a fair result. Um, Preston came out of the traps uh, very quickly. In fact, they very nearly went one up in the first minute with Dwayne Holmes, but um, they they uh, they scored to make it 1-0. Only a few minutes later, so they took a really early lead in that one. Um, I thought the, the Millwall res- response was good. They very nearly equalised through... Um, for a chance of one of their wingers was forced a good save from um, Woodman, Woodman and Gold tipped onto the bar. But when you've got a player with the quality of, uh, of Zion Fleming, I think you've always got a chance. I really love his goal, the way he managed to get around Greg Cunningham and then fire the and then fire the ball into the into the uh, the corner of the net. Um, it's it was a really good goal, and um, it's. It's some, it's something certainly to build on now for for Millwall. With um, obviously it's been an interesting week with uh Gary Rowett's departure. Um, I think you've just got to take the positives and and move on for the uh 
and it should be it should be a, a decent building point as well for any potential new managers looking on like Kevin Muscat was mentioned and a couple of other names it'll be interesting to see who they go for but I think overall I think it's I think it's very much a solid point Preston I mean they're on a little bit of a run now at the minute where they haven't won in five but um they have played some tough teams in there they have played Leicester they have played Ipswich um but you can certainly see that the that the start of the season that the wheels are starting to fall off slightly they're still a good team don't get me wrong but I think you'd probably look at that at the minute with what Millwall have been on probably maybe expected a bit more I think it would have been a close game regardless and it certainly was in this one I think overall I think the draw's probably fair yeah, um, I'd probably, I'd definitely agree with that. Um, Lewis, obviously, Mole have gone through, like you said, Jordan, an interesting week with the departure of Gary Rower. Did you agree with the departure of Gary Rower? Obviously, it wasn't a fantastic run, but he'd done quite a bit for Millwall in that period of time. Do you feel like that was the right choice over the past week? Um, yeah, I feel like it's you know it was fairly fifty. You could make you know give reasons why he should be, you know, given more time or, you know, given the boot as he was. I think, you know, to be 14th in the league, you know, it's a side that, again, should be pushing around the playoffs. You know, we've got some brilliant players like Jordan mentioned, uh, Zian Fleming, you know, absolutely incredible. I'm going to name drop George Honeyman as well. You know, we saw him at Hull. He was pivotal for us and... I still don't know why we let him go. Duncan Watmore as well, Alan Campbell. I think there's certainly some names in there which, you know, should be higher up in the league. And yeah, I think also in front of goal, you know, I think that's where they've lacked the most. You know, they've averaged a goal a game, which, you know, only sides QPR and Sheffield Wednesday have, you know, done worse than that. And if, you know, if that's what the attacking output is for your side, then... I feel like you've got to make changes one way or another. Just looking through, yeah. um, Mill- sorry, just just looking through Millwall's recent form as well. You can certainly sense there's an inconsistency problem, inconsistency problem as well, because you see a lot of uh, win draws lost, win draws lost. You see that quite the way through. Although they've um, they've they've not lost in their last three, um, and you can probably sense that them being um, only three points off the playoffs as well. Was it harsh? Maybe, but I can you can certainly see the reasons why they've decided to to part ways now. But um yeah, it's an it's an interesting one with Mill. I think they've certainly got the quality to to make the playoffs, but it's, it's just the, the inconsistency because the defeats have been bad on the whole. A three 0 defeat to Leeds, which is probably no shame, but three 0 defeat to Swansea as well, with a three one defeat to Norwich. Um the results they've been quite heavy. The, the defeats, but and the wins, other than, I mean, they beat Rotherham 3 0, but the wins have been uh, relatively decent, keeping clean sheets in, in their last three wins in the league, looking at it. Um, I can certainly see their reasoning why they think a change is probably the best. Gary Rowett's been a, has been a good servant for, for Mill, has been there for quite a long time, but I can certainly see their reasons why they decided to, to move on. Yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see what direction more we're going to go in long term because there's a lot of players in there that could definitely be an investment for a Premier League club either in January or the summer, Zion Fleming being one of them. Um, but for Preston, obviously, they they move on. Uh, right then, next game is the Battle of Fergie's Boys. Um, Rooney travels to Carrick's stomping ground uh, with Middlesbrough getting the 1-0 win over Birmingham. Um, 
interesting game um, in terms of Borough, uh, and fitting off for the bench, Coburn up front again, no Lenny and Sadelfry's in that back line again, uh, captain in the side, Birmingham with Bakuna benched after the international return, uh, Gary Garner in the midfield, Hogan up front instead of Miyoshi. You know, it was Rooney's first team lineup as Birmingham manager. So you'd think it was an interesting, um, an interesting one there. Uh, in terms of the game itself, Borough definitely had um, more of the ball uh, with the 60% over 40% possession. Um, and Borough absolutely dominated on shots, dominated on opportunities. Um, I did pick a couple of moments out there. There was a controversial first-half penalty against Crooks um, that was not given. I felt like another referee could have given that. Uh, Coburn had Borough's best chance after some great build-up play by Hackney and Greenwood. Uh, they could have had a second penalty with the Isaiah Jones being fouled by Longello. I felt that was actually a penalty. I, I, Looking back on that on the second glance, I was like, Middlesbrough's been you know, robbed of that one there. Uh, but the Borough goal itself, um, I questioned Birmingham's defence. Who was marking Morgan Rodgers when Crooks was chasing after that ball on the wide front? Um, I don't know why someone was... I mean, it seemed like in the situation where Crooks was, was about to pass the ball, it seemed like the defender who was marking Crooks at the front had a bit of a stick or twist situation where it was like, should I go for Crooks? Should I twist with Rodgers? But there wasn't that second man supporting the one-on-one situation at that at that um, edge of the far po- front post. So there needed to have been a supporting man there, potentially. But Morgan Rodgers free, taps it in, 1-0 Borough. Um, Ruddy made a couple of good saves to keep it free from two or three. Um, you know, obviously both were hit with the tragic news of Sir Bobby Charlton during halftime. And of course, everyone here at Look Sports Media's thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of uh, the Manchester United legend Sir Bobby Charlton. Um, Lewis, we'll come to you first of all on this one quickly. Um, good win for Borough, uh, obviously in difficult circumstances for the second half with the news about Sir Bobby Charlton, the legendary Sir Bobby Charlton, uh, with Carrick and Rooney having previous history with, with, with Sir Bobby. Um, obviously it pales in comparison to, to, to the situation, uh, the game itself, but, um, good win for Borough and, uh, a sort of slightly difficult start for, for Birmingham after John Eustace's exit. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's five wins on the spin for Michael Carrick. It's, night and day difference from the way it started, you know. There was a lot of um, questions of whether Michael Carrick would still be in the job come a couple of weeks' time, but it really has turned it around and they're not far from the playoffs at all, only two points off northeastern rivals, Sutherland. And, yeah, I think this one was equally as deserved as the last four. We saw Morgan Rogers' goal in the 88th minute, you know, uh, a very tidy, you know, finished very near post to, you know, just get there before the goalkeeper. But I think all credit for the goal does have to go to Crooks, who latched on to what was a, a fairly poor ball from Rogers, who sent him fairly out wide. But he recovered really well with that. And despite the you know, the pressure from the Birmingham defender, he managed to whip it back inside and find the Middlesbrough man. And yeah, I think it's going to be a very similar situation to what we saw last season. Of course, they were... They were right down there, you know. Uh, it looked like they'll be in for a relegation scrap this season, but they massively turned it around and they were good for automatic promotion at one point. And if I'm being honest, I feel like it could be a similar story this season. 
I would agree with that. Uh, I wasn't worried during Middlesbrough's poor run of form because I knew Carrick would turn it around. It was just a case of getting Latte Laugh and a couple of those players firing and, you know, really filling the void left by Tuberak Pom and, and, and Cameron Archer from last season. Uh, Jordan, quickly from you, from a Birmingham perspective, obviously not the best result to start off with for the former DC United manager and United legend Wayne Rooney. Um, but would you see it as a blip start? Uh, just a, just a, just a kind of sort of false start and then fire on from there? I mean, how much confidence do you have in Wayne Rooney? Um, it certainly wouldn't have been the start he wanted. Um, but I think going to, to Middlesbrough uh, with the form that they've been on at the minute is always going to be a tough task. Uh, they've got a good crowd over at the Riverside. And I think getting a result anyway would have been would have been a, a big result if, if they'd have got one. But there's certainly, there was some um, aspects to that were good about Birmingham's playing the game, but there's certainly quite a bit to work on. You mentioned uh, Morgan Rogers' goal, the former Lincoln Loney. Um, yeah, you can certainly see that no one was 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 tracking him. Um, probably put that down to some poor marking, but, it, you know, he's, he's only had one game. Um, you'd imagine that there's still a lot to come from this talented Birmingham side who I still think will have the... A better, well, a more better successful season than what they've had. They've invested in, in some, in some decent enough players as well. Um, I've got no. I've, at the minute, look, it's it's early days. You know, we could talk quite a bit about the departure of John Eustis, and I still don't agree it was right. I, I don't think many people agree that it was right, and especially for for Wayne Rooney. Granted, he did a good job um, in difficult circumstances at Derby, but. We'll just have to see where it takes us. Um, you know, Wayne Wayne's Wayne knows a lot about the English game. He'd have probably have learned a bit about the championship whilst with the Rams. Um it's I think it's just more of a building process, right? Okay, we've had this result and he'd have identified different problems of of the game in which went wrong, could do better. But they did also have one or two glimpses of of good moments in the game, although not many. So um We'll just have to see where it goes, and um, I'm, it's certainly one, one, um, one appointment that I'm curious to see how it goes. I like Wayne. I want him to. I want him to do well, but let's just see what happens. Hundred um, percent. Lewis, going to come to you next. Um, Watford getting the win over Sheffield Wednesday at Vicarage Road. Um, Danny Roll turned by Valentina's mail, but um, talk us through this one because there was a. A penalty which has caused quite controversy in this game, hasn't there? Yeah, I think the, the obviously the penalty was originally given for Sheffield Wednesday, but then overturned afterwards, which I think it was very unfortunate for them. You know, all luck is just going completely against Wednesday at this point. And it's one of them 50-50 ones where, you know, if it was waved away at first, I don't think would be here, you know, arguing, you know, debating whether it should have been a penalty etc but the fact that it was originally given and then overturned i think i don't think it was quite enough you no know, to overturn it was definitely soft but there certainly was contact there but in terms of the game as a whole you know first one in charge for german danny roll and you know it'll be very demanding job and difficult for him as he saw in this game against Watford. Uh, he had the return of Barry Bannon and Windass, which will be pivotal going forward in their next uh, few games. But 
obviously it won't improve overnight, but they are well needed, you know, in comparison to Lee Gregory and Smith up top, which they had for the game at home to Huddersfield. You know, it was very one-dimensional. They didn't have much going forward, you know. Severe lack of pace, so Windass will definitely add to that. Uh, in terms of, you know, the appointment of Danny Rule, I'm slightly hesitant, you know. I think not only is his lack of managerial experience come into play, you know, he's been assistant at some, you know, fairly, you know, high places, you know, Germany, RB Leipzig, Southampton as well. So he's got that English experience. He's just, he's not been the main man. And at any other championship club, I think it could be a solid appointment, but it's an appointment for the long term. And Wednesday just don't need that whatsoever at this point. They needed a, I know he's got his blades connection, but needed a Neil Warnock, you know, someone like that with, you know, leaps and bounds of championship experience, you know, just to get them out of this hole. And as much as I want to see Danny Roll, you know, succeed in the job, I think right man, wrong time is the way I see it. And although, you know, we saw them lose against the fairly average Watford side here, I think they will improve given time, but... We don't have time, that's the issue. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, I'm fully behind I'm personally fully behind the Danny Roll appointment because of his analytical background as well. I think recruitment wise that gives him an edge on other managers that maybe don't have that analytical and it's a little background. Uh however you pronounce it, because my pronunciation is just off point today. Um, but yeah, I think he has the advantage there. Um, Jordan, quickly on Watford. Um it seemed like they hadn't had the best start this season. You'd expect them to be around the mid-table point of view, but they were down near the bottom, down near the relegation zone. This win is a big win for both the, the squad's confidence, is Mel's confidence as a coach and a manager, and also the fans' confidence in the manager and the players. It is. It's. It's. I think a big win is certainly what they needed. And against, with the greatest respect, what seems to be a very poor uh, Sheffield Wednesday side at the minute. Thing is with Watford, they're they're an interesting one. I think we've you've seen it before. Managers have been sacked for less at Watford. You look at uh, Rob Edwards in particular, with the with the amount of time that he had with them, it was next to nothing. And what were they? What ninth? I think when when he was sacked. And you know, it, it's it's even now that they've that they've stuck with Valerian Ishmael, who I like as a manager. He, he's done well with Barnsley, and he's didn't probably have didn't have probably the best at times at West Brom, but he's, he's certainly a manager that that can get a tune out. I mean, it's not been the greatest of stats for him. It's the fact that they've clearly trusted him by not just sacking him, but also giving him a, giving him a new deal. I think that's how much they they have faith in Valerian to turn that around. I think the game as well was won by what seemed to be a really good strike as well from from um, Aspria. Um, into the into the bottom corner. It was it was a win that they just needed to hopefully kickstart their season. But like you said, it's this thing. It's this thing with Watford. You mentioned to the point Lewis, that Watford just don't give managers time. Um, are we may are we looking at the point where the, their owners have learned from their mistakes? I think early time will tell. But you see, before that, they've stopped a run of um, of five games without a win, three defeats in that time. So you certainly sense. It was a big win for him. And with their game coming up against Swansea as well, Millwall, who haven't got a manager, uh, Huddersfield coming up as well. 
you know, there's there are some decent opportunities there to get some some more points on the board. And I think with the quality of what Watford have already at their squad, I think already they should be doing quite a bit better than what they're doing. Um, but yeah, big win for them. Um, it sort of relaxes the pressure on Valerian Ishmael slightly. And um, yeah. I, I yeah, don't think I'll... with this game... Oh, sorry, Joel. Uh, I, I yeah. don't think you can read anything into this Watford win whatsoever. It's against a Sheffield Wednesday side that have got off to the worst championship start in its entire history. I don't think... Like personally, I don't think you know it eases Ishmael's like job insecurity in his role in the slightest. You know, if if he was to lose this game, it would have been you know all hell loose. And we know how much Watford love to chop and change managers, but I think with this one, it's you, you can't you can't read much into it. And I still think yeah. Watford really are at square one, and you know they won't have much more. They shouldn't have much more of. Uh, have a chance against Swansea or, you know, be any more optimistic because, you know, just the opposition that they did face and they faced winning however long. I, 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 I do kind of agree there with Lewis. I do kind of agree there with you, mate. Because um, I think with Watford, I think, I think that win from what I could take from it was, I think it was one of those where you just take it and it's like one game at a time. I think, like you said, with the likes of Millwall and that coming up, I think you've got games on there where you can get six points out of six in the next couple of games uh, with Millwall and Huddersfield, potentially. But if they don't, imagine the turnaround from the from the fan base. But again, I like the fact that Watford could be learning their lessons. But as you said, Jordan, it could be a, a long time coming. And it's one of those kind of timescale situations we have to keep an eye on. Um, can I just say, hold on, just, be- just beforehand as well, I think with this, it's a good result if I can back it up. That seems to be yeah. Their I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I would. I would. Huddersfield's a telltale one. I think if 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 they, if they beat them, you know, the one place apart from each other, I think that's the real telltale of, and that could be the real springboard that they need to you know get this season up and going. I'd agree with that hundred percent. Um, Right then, Jordan, we go to Ewood Park next as Blackburn get the 1-0 win over Balut's Cardiff City um, on the disallowed Cardiff goal. Um, um, Dominic Hayam said we got away with it, I think, that one. Do you agree with that? And what was the thoughts on the whole game? Um, I think the game, it's, it's three points in the bag for Blackburn Rovers. It's sort of... They've been on a run of, I think it was four straight defeats, I want to say, beforehand. So it sort of puts that to bed um, in in the sense, oh, no, sorry. they No, they I beg your pardon. They won the uh, the last game against QPR, but before that, they'd lost their, their last four before that. Um, in terms of the penalty, you mentioned that uh, the uh, the Cardiff boss saying that he didn't think it was. He didn't think it uh, I'll say penalty. Uh, sorry, I meant offside. He didn't think it was offside. Um Oh, no, he was offside, sorry. And uh, Dom Heim, the Blackburn defender, mentioned that he thought that Blackburn had got away with one. Um, it's an interesting one to call. I can see why it's been given. You see that the defender's been blocking the goalkeeper's sight. Um, I'm personally undecided. I think it, it could have gone either way. I'm leaning towards... I'm personally leaning towards... Yes. If I'm if I'm good if I'm going to be honest, but like I said, it could have gone either way. Uh, Joe Rankin Castell uh, with with the goal as well. He, he took it well. It was a great pass from Tyrese Dolan, 
to to find him to find him as well it was a decent finish in which Jack Anik um did manage to get a touch off but you just got to take it if you're Blackburn aren't you it's a one 0 win it could have got worse it could have got worse um Cardiff did have their chances but for them it's a win don't, and they they move on yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I would also agree. I think the goal was was soft. I think they, uh, I think Blackburn definitely got away with one, in my opinion, looking at first and second glance on that goal. Um, Lewis, from a, from, a, from a Cardiff point of view, blip or um, could this be a, a potential turning point? Because I think Cardiff have done pretty well under, under uh, Balut this season. Yeah, I mean, only just a week ago, I was singing the praises of their manager, you know, suggesting that he's done a much better job than he was certainly expected to, you know, with the crop of players that Cardiff do have. You know, they've got some very good, you know, one-off players, Aaron Ramsey, to name one, you know, incredible the, champ- the championship side. But yeah, he's, he's done brilliantly. But, you know, now winless in the last three, they've had the absence of Aaron Ramsey, which, you know, for any side, I think, you know, that'll affect your performances. You know, he's out with a leg injury at the minute. But I think they can probably, you know, bounce back. And I think it's safe to say it is a little bit of a blip. Yeah, I, I could 100% agree with that. And we are hoping that the Welshmen do turn it around. Um, penultimate game of this week then. Um, <laughs> Lewis, we go to you because Nigel Pearson's side got the win over a frustrated Mark Robbins. Yeah, it was a, a dominant country, Coventry side that were unable to break down what was a quite resolute Bristol City outfit. You know, Cobb hit the woodwork multiple times. And it just seemed that their luck was just completely against them. And looking at the, the Robbins goal, it was a great set piece when Gardner Hickman whipped it into the Tower and Rob Dickey. And I feel like if there's anyone you want to get on the end of the cross of the championship, it's definitely going to be him. And... I feel like Bristol City really went under the radar this season. You know, they found themselves in a very positive position and the only one point of the playoffs were really in the mix with the abundance of teams which are, you know, knocking on Sunderland's door in that sixth place. Looking at Coventry City, though, you know, they're in a slightly more precarious position at 16th and looking at not just where they were last season, you know, getting to the playoff final. It's the money that they've spent so far in the summer, you know, Haji Wright came in, also Sims, they came in for a combined £14 million. Pounds, and there's just the four goals to show between the two of them. And of course, we saw Haji Wright at Antalyaspor, I believe, in Turkey. You know, he was getting the goals in. I believe Hull were linked with him last season for a, a mere fraction of that price. We're looking at him for a couple million pounds at most, I'm pretty sure. So it showed how well he did do last season and then to come in and just be a bit one-dimensional it's it's not what Coventry fans were wanting to see at all yeah 100 percent uh Jordan there was a clear frustration from the manager post-match conceding from a from a set-piece goal they should have I mean to be fair I look back on it they should have defended that a lot better than they did um is is there a clear frustration setting in overall at Coventry? Do you think that Robins can turn this around, especially with the success um, last season in the playoff final at Wembley and losing some of them key players? Um, yeah, I think so. I think Mark Robbins is, you know, he's been at Coventry quite a long time now, and he's he's 
been involved in. So some successful teams that have gone on to done well. Um, the goal, yeah, it, it it was poor defending. Looking at it, when you've got a player of, of Rob Dickey who who is good in, at those types of situations, you've, you've always uh, you always put yourself in trouble there. But I've seen, you know, with the players that they've brought, and they've obviously lost their some key names: Gustavo Harmer, Victor Gokeres. They've obviously moved on. I think they've got enough quality to to sort of help them push up. And just whether they've sort of come to the point where they're starting to reach their ceiling with Robbins. I'm not overly too sure, but I mean they've this is their they've now gone two games with, without a win. They drew they drew with uh Narshas And other than the, the two previous wins before that, they went on a run of, of six games in which they've drawn five consecutive games. So they're clearly not losing games. They're not winning games either. And you can certainly see the resilience as well in them teams. Some have come from behind, some have come in front. Um I I think there's still plenty of time to go. Um I think Mark Robbins has held in high regard yeah. over at Contrary. I've got I've got no problems with with him trying to turn it around. I think he he deserves every opportunity, but um I think it was always going to be tough to recreate the uh the success of last season by very nearly reaching the prem, especially with the key departures. But I think they've got an, they've got a good enough squad. I think you know they'll probably look to hopefully try and get to winning ways to winning ways soon. But yeah, the goal was disappointing, and, and ultimately it's a the defeat on the board for them. Yeah, I think putting devil's advocate to one side for a moment. I think that Mark Robbins, in my opinion, has done enough to to stay and and fight for his place. And I think that Coventry's got enough in the tank to to keep going and, and keep and keep trying to turn this around. Um, Finally, then, uh, we go to the Baggies, uh, West Brom under Carlos Corbinan, and uh, they hosted the Argyle Army, the Plymouth Argyle Army, uh, down from Devonshire, uh, down from Devon, um, under Stephen Schumacher. And it was a goalless draw, but a very interesting goalless draw from what I saw. Um, first off, West Brom could have conceded three or four, at least. Um, they, they weren't at it in the first half at all. Uh, Whitaker was unlucky with the woodwork hitting the post. Um, I think a more free. I think if they were coming up against the Leicester in that first half, I think they would have been probably out of sight in that first half. I think Leicester would have uh, knocked them for six and seven potentially. Uh, I think West Brom were just looking poor in that first half. Second half, they were looking a lot better. I've got to say this: they will do it. They'd be they'd be happy with the point, but very frustrated with the performance overall. I think the performance in the second half was much better than the first half. Um, Plymouth, they made six changes for this game. And I'll tell you what, said they made six changes and really looked good because they looked good in this game. They just lacked that clinicalness up front. Like I said, Whitaker was very unlucky. A couple of people came on and tried to make a difference. It just didn't end up working. Um, Corbran has commented on the improvement, having to see how he improved in the attack and defence and create more clear-cut chances. Schumacher said that he played well, had to change the shape halfway through the first half and create to the lads for a beat, you know, to be brave, etc. Um, Lewis, we'll come to you first on this. Um, Plymouth look good. They just need a bit more clinicalness in that final third. Because like I said in that first half, any other team like a Leicester or an Ipswich, and it would have been potentially 3-4-0. I think Alex Palmer was probably the man that was probably, you know, keeping them that way in the first half as, as part of the reason. Well, yeah, I think you've really got to look at one man in particular, Ryan Hardy, you know, in mm. terms of in front of goal, you know, he started off the season incredibly getting 
five goals in his uh, first six, but ever since then, the latter six in the 12 games that we have played, he's been unable to find the back of the net in any of them occasions. And I feel like it's a similar situation with Preston North End, obviously completely different end of the table. You know, Will Keane got off to a very good start, which you could argue is a bit of a purple patch for him. You know, he's not been prolific at championship level that much before, but yeah, similar with Ryan Hardy, you know, he's not really hit them heights that he did very early on. And as a result, Plymouth have struggled in front of goal, in particular in this nil-nil draw. Yeah, 100%. Um, Jordan, from a West Brom point of view, you could you could see in the second half some improvements, but they have to be doing much better overall in terms of how they improve and progress week on week. They do, yeah. Um, and that certainly, at times, has certainly seen a problem for Carlos Corberan's man. They have had some relatively good results um, in this season so far. You look at some of the some of the key aspects of of their results, you know, wins over Preston, who've looked okay, uh, Middlesbrough earlier on in the season as well. But you do sense, again, an inconsistency problem to some extent. Uh, last, you know, with them losing to Birmingham and not not punishing Plymouth, um, I think ultimately it's a, it's a great result for Plymouth. I think West Brom might look at it and maybe think otherwise with them um, trying to, hopefully push up into those playoff places them sitting two points out of it I, I certainly think you know with with the quality that um that West Brom have they've got some good players I just think whether like I said their problem at the minute does seem as well as Plymouth to maybe have that final instinct in front of goal as I say that as as much as a beat press and four nil you do sense that you know how can he how can we start turning some of these draws into wins. I think that's starting to become a bit of a problem, especially with all the with a fair few draws recently. Um, it, it is something that does have to start changing from some point. That looks does have to turn. Yeah, 100%. And obviously West Brom have got QPR uh, on Tuesday night, so that's going to be a very interesting time to see they can draw those, turn those draws into, into wins. And of course, if Plymouth want some potential scoring practice, they'll be hosting Sheffield Wednesday on the 25th of October, so the Wednesday night uh, at quarter to eight. Um, gentlemen, so that is the end of the very first championship podcast here on Lug Sports Media. Um, some fantastic action, some controversy, some goals, lots of goals. And uh, some drama aplenty as well. Um, Lewis, Jordan, absolute honour to be on here again with you guys uh, talking to you. So thank you very much. Cheers, Joel. It's been great, Joel. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to the Championship Podcast. We will see you again next week. I am the C-H-A-L-L. He is Lewis. He is Jordan. And this is Lux Sports Media. Thank you very much. And have a wonderful morning, afternoon, and Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.